Well, I remember a time when I was on staff with Campus Crusade, and I was going through a difficult season. Uh, Things were hard. God was stretching my faith, and I was focusing on the pain of that time. And so one day I shared with my mentor on staff with Crusade, I I shared with her just uh, how much I hated what God was doing and what I was going through. And I just wish he'd just get me out of it. You ever pray that? God, just get me out of this. And she said something that I still remember these many years later. She said, Cricket, God is more committed to building your character than he is to preserving your comfort. I did not like that. Because I wanted comfort. But she was right. God is more committed to building your character than he is to preserving your comfort. I was focused on the pain when I should have been focused on God's bigger plan in my life. I wanted comfort. God wanted to build my character. And I wanted that. I wanted him to build my character. But could we just do it without the trials? Could we just do it where it's fun? Well, all of us are going to face temptations and trials. And it's not a question of if we're going to face them. I would guess that everybody in this room has already faced trials and temptations. The question is when and how. How are you going to deal with it when those hard times come? You know, and just for review from last week, I mentioned last week that the reason that James was writing this letter, he was writing it to Jewish believers who had converted from Judaism to Christianity. But now they're still being persecuted for their faith, and they're getting discouraged. They've left their home, their synagogue, their jobs. They're being ostracized. A hard time. And so James is writing them to encourage them to stand firm in their faith. And he knew that there were going to be obstacles that were going to come along that would try to shake their faith. And... James is telling them, stand firm. And so this week we looked at two obstacles uh, that those believers and us would have to overcome if we're going to stand firm in our faith. We have to stand firm against these obstacles. We looked at the obstacle of trials and the obstacles of temptation. And the same Greek word is used in this passage for both trials and temptations. Like in verse 2 when it talks, in my translation it says trials, but in other translations and from the original Greek, it is the word for temptation. And you might say, well, how can they be the same thing? Trials and temptation, I mean, how can trials be temptation? Well, trials can tempt us to walk away from God. I mean, trials can tempt us to say, God, I don't think you love me. Trials can tempt us to just say, I'm done. This is too hard. I'm going back to my life before Christ. So how do we stand firm in our faith against these obstacles of trials and temptations? And to summarize it, I would put it in one word, and that word is focus. We have to focus on the right things. And so I want you, if you have your Bibles, turn to James 1, 1 to 18. And we're not going to read the whole passage, but we're going to touch on different verses. 
But James 1, 1 to 18 is what you uh, looked at this week. And I want to give you six principles from this passage that will help you stand firm against trials and temptations. So the first thing, the first principle, is we need to focus on the positive. The positive. James 1, verse 2. He begins and he says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. And I'm sure they were thinking, they got this this letter and they're probably thinking, Seriously, James? You want me to, to rejoice, to count it joy when I don't have a job, when I'm being persecuted for my faith, when I'm separated from family, friends? Seriously? That is not our natural response. When things are hard, that is not a natural response to trials. Our natural response is to focus on the negative. Because trials are painful. They're hard. We complain. We get angry with God. We become discouraged. So what did James mean when he said, count it all joy? Well, the joy he's talking about here isn't based on circumstances. It's based on confidence in the outcome of a trial. It's it's confidence that the outcome is going to be good. And Jesus gave us an example of this. And if you turn back to Hebrews 12, just a page over to Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, and he says, Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know, Jesus wasn't jumping up and down the night before his crucifixion. We know in the Garden of Gethsemane, he is in agony. He is praying, Father, take this cup from me. He wasn't, yes, this is great. But... For the joy that he knew was coming, he went through. He endured the cross. He endured the pain because he was looking at the outcome. He knew that what he was going to go through would bring great joy, would bring salvation to mankind, and he would be restored to his place by the Father. He looked beyond the pain to the outcome. That's how we count it all joy. When we're in the middle of a difficult time because we're looking ahead. How many of you have had a baby? Just, okay, a lot of you. Many of you have experienced the pain of childbirth, I would guess. Now, I haven't. I've not had a baby. I've actually watched a friend deliver her baby when we were in China. And I remember standing there going, I don't know why women have babies. This is just too much for me to take in, comprehend. And I was in my 20s, and I thought, oh, Lord, I don't think I can ever have a child. You go through that pain, you're in pain, and you're not laying there going, oh, this is so fun. Yes, I'm rejoicing in this. But you endure it. Why? Because you know what's coming. You know the result is going to be this little baby that's put in your arms. You endure it because you're looking to the outcome, which is positive. You will go through that pain because you know it's for good. And so 
in our Christian life, we focus on the positive. We need to focus on the positive. Yes, right now hurts, but I know that the result is going to bring joy. And that way, I count it all joy because I know the outcome is going to be good. But be honest with God when you're in the middle of that pain. Tell him, God, this hurts. This is hard. I'm sure when you were having those babies, you were saying, God, this is not pleasant. What was I thinking? And I honestly wonder why some of you have five and six kids. I I just, my hat goes off to you. I just respect you. But that's not what this topic's about. So just be honest with him and tell him what you're feeling. But that joy is based on the outcome that is coming. Warren Wiersbe said, if we live only for the present and forget the future, then trials will make us bitter, not better. Let me say it one more time. Just if we live only for the present and forget the future, trials will make us bitter, not better. And my prayer for us is that our trials would not make us bitter, but we would let God work in us to make us better. So that's the first principle. Focus on the positive. Focus on the end result. And that brings us to the second principle. Focus on the purpose. Verse 3 and 4. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If we understand the purpose of of trials, then we'll be able to count it all joy because we know that God is perfecting us. He is making us more like him through these trials. The purpose of trials is spiritual maturity. And I would hope and guess that we all want to grow spiritually mature. But it's a process. It's not immediate. I wish that I had just been mature when I was first a believer. It is a process that will go on until he takes us off this earth. He takes us through trials. Those trials test our faith, and that testing produces endurance. And the ESV, I like the ESV translation better, uh, it produces steadfastness, which is our theme, steadfast. Those trials produce steadfastness, which is a quality that you will stand firm and not be knocked over. It's a picture like of the weatherman when you watch the hurricanes and they're standing there broadcasting and they're like this. Well, the more trials that we go through and we stand firm, we have more of a foundation. It's like our little mascot here, the seagull, that is standing firm. That is the process that he takes us through. One day he's going to take us home and we're going to be perfected. No more trials, no more sorrow. God's purpose in trials is to make us better, not to hurt us. But a lot of times we think, you're hurting me, God. I don't understand. That's, his purpose is to make us better. You know, every time I take my cats to the vet when they're sick, it's a trial. It's a trial for them, but let me tell you, it's a trial for me 
And I have told the vet, they always give me gabapentin to give to the cats. And the last time I went, a few months ago, I said, you're going to give me the gabapentin next time. <laughs> it is not pleasant. And even in the, the room, I'm standing on the chair because I'm scared Hannah's going to kill me. <laughs> and they're looking at me with this look of, you don't love me. What are you doing? You're letting this lady poke me and give me these needles. What is going on? I thought you loved me. The thing is, I do love them because I want them to get better. They don't understand that. We don't understand that. God, I thought you loved me. I do. And I'm taking you through this pain that's temporary so that you will be better. You will be stronger. You will be healthier. And I think of that every time I take my cats to the vet and I come back. I still have scars on my leg. We need to focus on the purpose. He knows the purpose. We know the purpose. It's for our good. And, but that's how we stand firm against trials. By focusing on the positive, focusing on the purpose, and third, focus on prayer. Verses 5 to 8 he says, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. This verse is, these verses are really related to the previous verses because it begins with, but if any of you lacks wisdom, and he's referring in this context, if you lack wisdom in how to count it as joy, and how to focus on the purpose. If you lack wisdom in how to navigate through this trial, ask God for wisdom. Focus on prayer. Go to him in prayer and ask God, God, give me wisdom to count this as joy. Help me do that. Help me see this through your eyes. Don't go to prayer and say, God, get me out of this, which I have done many times. But God, give me wisdom to walk through this in a way that's honoring to you. Give me wisdom to count it all joy. And God will give it. He delights in giving us wisdom. But you focus on his wisdom, not the wisdom of the world. When they talk about being double-minded without faith, you listen to his wisdom and follow that, not the world. So, to overcome the obstacles of trials and temptations, first, you focus on the positive. Second, focus on the purpose. Third, you focus on prayer. And fourth, focus on his provision. In verses 9 to 11, James gives two examples of trials. He talks about the poor man, and he talks about the rich man. And both situations can be trials. It's easy for us to understand how being poor can be a trial because when you're materially poor, uh, you're worrying about your needs. God, how am I going to pay rent this month? Uh, how am I going to provide for my family? I just lost my job. And so it's a trial because you're, you're feeling this weight of responsibility and you don't know how you're going to handle it. That's a trial. But James encourages the poor to focus on their eternal riches in Christ. God has provided lavishly all these things for you, and they can never be taken away. 
don't you think that if God will provide all those riches, that he is going to provide for you on this earth? It may not be everything I want, but he's going to take care of me in his way. When you're wealthy, you may say, well, what's a trial about being wealthy? I'd love to be wealthy. I was telling the leaders, I wish I could win the lottery and I wouldn't have to worry about anything anymore. But just teasing, I really, I don't play the lottery. (laughs) But it has crossed my mind, it would be nice to never have to worry about money. But that can be a trial and a temptation. Because when you're rich, it gives you a false sense of security. I don't have to worry about anything. I don't, and God, I don't really need to trust you right now because I've got the money to handle this. And so we have a false sense of security and we're tempted to trust in our riches instead of God. So it's a temptation and a trial when you're rich if you focus on those material riches. And those material riches could be gone tomorrow. That's part of a trial is that you focus on them, but the stock market could crash tomorrow. Or somebody could break into your house and take all your valuables. They're not stable. So whether you're wealthy or poor, focus on God's provision. Your eternal riches in Christ, not on temporary riches that are here today and gone tomorrow. Before I came here, the first evening, I worked in the hospital in Dallas, in Fort Worth, and I had a very lucrative job. It was very well-paying, and I never had to worry about bills. I didn't have to worry. I could just, I could do what I wanted to. I could buy this. I could go there. Never had to worry about money. It was wonderful. And then one day, God really laid on my heart, it's time for you to go back into ministry. And I thought, ooh, but you want me to leave the security of money? and then go work for a church that is a big pay cut. But I had to make that decision, and I decided that, you know, there are are a lot of things that are worth more than money, and doing what God wants you to do is worth more than money. And he has always provided for me. I have never been in, in want ever since I walked away from that job, and I wouldn't go back to it, even though there was that security of finances When God is calling you to do something that's going to stretch you in the area of his provision, trust him. He'll take care of you. So if we're going to stand firm, we have to focus on his provision. And then we move into the fifth principle, which is focus on the prize. Verse 12. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. The prize for persevering under trials is the crown of life. But what exactly is the crown of life? We've heard it. We read about it. What is it? And there are different views. And to be honest, I don't know. But one view is that it is a special reward that believers that have gone through trials are going to receive when they get to heaven. That's one view. Another view is that it's right now that you are experiencing spiritual life to its fullest as you're going through trials. So you're already experiencing the crown of life, that full abundant life here on earth. 
I lean toward the third view. And the third view is that the crown of life refers to that fulfillment of eternal life for all believers. So that when we get to heaven, we will experience eternal life in its fullness. That yes, we're having eternal life now, but boy, when we step across that threshold into his presence, we will experience what eternal life really is like. And it's beyond what we can imagine. And I can't wait for that day when we see that. You know, we'll find out one day what that crown of life is, but it's worth it. And that day when we experience that eternal life that is in its fulfillment, it, we're going to be free of sin. We're not going to be fighting COVID and disease. We're not going to be fighting each other. It's going to be that perfect place like the Garden of Eden. That is what I can't wait for. That's the, the prize, the crown of life. That, that I think that is the right view. But again, we'll see. I may be wrong. And then the last principle, the sixth principle, is focus on our perfect God. Verses 13 to 18. And in this section, James kind of moves away from talking about trials to where he's talking more about the obstacle of temptation in this section. And again, every one of us in this room has been tempted in some way. And temptation can either cause you to stumble or it can cause you to lean harder into God for strength to stand firm against the temptation. You know, James wants them to understand that even though God allows trials, even though he allows temptation, he's not the source of it because he is our perfect God. In verse 13, it says, Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. Temptation cannot come from a perfect and holy God. The source, James tells us, the source is our own flesh. Now we know, well, Satan is also the the source of temptation. And he is, but James is not mentioning Satan here. He talks about him later in this letter. But here he's emphasizing it's our desire that leads us to, um, we're tempted when we're carried away. Verse 14 carried away and enticed by his own lust. And that word lust in that verse, in this context, it's more than sexual lust. It is a much bigger picture. I love the definition of one scholar when he said, lust, in this context, it is the desire to do, have, or be something apart from the will of God. It is the Lust is that desire to do something that you know is not God's will. It's the desire to be something that you know isn't God's will for you. It is the desire to have something that you know isn't God's will for you. And so it's our own desire. Satan wants us to believe that God's not good. If he were good, he'd give you that husband or he'd give you that child or he'd give you this, that money. He's withholding good. No, our perfect God doesn't withhold good from us. So is 
the question I asked in your Bible study, is temptation sin? And the answer is no, it's not. I mean, Hebrews 4.15 tells us Jesus was tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. It becomes sin when we act on that temptation and we do something to satisfy that lust or desire that we know is apart from the will of God. You know, I, I've had several friends that have faced temptation in their marriages. One um, was tempted by a guy at work, even though she was married, and just being tempted alone wasn't sin. It was when she acted on that sin and had an affair. Another friend, her husband, was getting all these text messages from a woman. He was tempted, but he, he, did, he said, nope went to his wife and said, listen, this is happening. I'm not going there. It's how we respond. Temptation becomes sin when we act on that to take something or do something or have something that we know is not God's will. So it's important of how we respond to it. So how do we stand firm against temptation? We focus on our perfect God who has what's perfect for us, what's best for us, who doesn't withhold good from us. Focus on him because he is good. Verse 17 to 18, every good thing given, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shifting shadow. Our perfect God is the source of every good and perfect thing, and we can trust him. You know, I've shared this with you before, but I'll just review it uh, with you because I have to keep telling myself this. If you desire something and God hasn't given you that desire yet, I mean, if he hasn't fulfilled that desire, if, if you've asked God for something in your prayer and he's not given it, said no yet or not given it, it's either because of one of three reasons. One, because it's not good for you what you're asking for, what you're wanting. It's not good for you. So he's protecting you. Or second, it's good, but it's not best for you. He's got something even better. You just need to wait. Or third, it's not the right timing. I've seen that in my life where I've asked for a yes, 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 and God has not given me that. And then down the road, he'll give it, and I'll go, oh, Lord, I was not ready for that. If you'd answered my prayer back then, I was not ready. God will give you what is best for you. He is good. He is perfect. We just need to not give in to that temptation that we need this, even if it's apart from God's will. Stand firm against trials and temptations. And follow these six principles that James gave us in chapter 1. Focus on the positive. Focus on the purpose. Focus on prayer. Focus on his provision. Focus on the prize. Focus on a perfect God. If we are going to stand firm, our focus has to be in the right place. Let's pray. Father, I know that every one of us have gone through trials, and some may be in a trial this very day. 
But Lord, help us look to you and trust you for the pain that we're feeling. Help us never lose sight of your love for us. And Father, help us to want that character that you want to build into us. Help us keep our eyes on the future, the outcome, so that we'll go through this temporary pain because we know joy is coming. And Father, protect us from temptation, temptation in our own hearts of what we desire, temptation that comes from, from Satan in the world. Protect us, Lord. I pray that we would not give in and stumble because of either of these obstacles. Father, we want to stand firm. And we pray this in your name. Amen.